Because up your sleeves, you got a brand of magic never fails. You got some power in your corner now, some heavy ammunition in your camp. You got some punch, pizzazz, yahoo, and how. See, all you got to do is rub that lamp. When I was growing up, one of my favorite Disney movies was Aladdin. And I used to get wrapped up in this story of this no-name little street urchin who got access to the greatest power on earth. And, and, and I got lost in the bigness of this character, right? The genie. And, and Robin Williams did an awesome job portraying him. But what I, what, I, what I used to fantasize about was like, I wonder if I were to ever find a magic lamp like that, right, with a genie inside, and I would rub it. What, what, would, what would my three wishes be? What would I say to that genie when he looked at me and said, you have never had a friend like me. Well, I realized that uh, fantasizing about this as a little child actually turned into uh, fantasizing about this in my relationship with God as well. And, and I honestly, I just begin to think of God as kind of like a genie. That, you know, whatever I wanted, I could go to him and I could rub that lamp and if I was living my life in a certain way, he would do it, Right? And although it was true that I had a power now, an access to a power in my corner that I never had before, what wasn't true is that God was just some genie waiting eagerly to fulfill my wishes. And so I think, I think we do this in our lives. I think we can convince ourselves that if God is on our side and we're living our lives in accordance with the way that he's told us, then, then he'll do whatever we ask of him. And listen, we can debate all day about who the better genie was, right? Robin Williams, of course, absolutely. Or Will Smith, not, in a, sh- not a shot, no way. We can debate that all day. But what, we, but what we, we can all agree on is they would make terrible gods, right? Genies make terrible gods. And listen, I think one of the crucial things to help us understand what it means to pray big is for us to begin to understand the difference between wishing and hoping. Wishing and hoping are opposites of each other. Eugene Peterson, one of my favorite authors, uh, died a few years ago, but in one of his books, he wrote this. I think this is beautiful. He says, wishing is something all of us do, right? Humans, all of us, we we wish for things, right? There's things that we want, that we wish for. It projects what we want or think we need into the future. Wishing grows out of our egos. Hope, on the other hand, grows out of our faith. Hope is oriented toward what God is doing. Wishing is oriented toward what we are doing. Wishing has to do with what I want in things or people or God. Hope has to do with what God wants in me and in the world of things and people around me. To cultivate hope is to suppress wishing. To refuse to fantasize, like I did as a little child, about what we want, but live in anticipation of what God is going to do next. See the difference? This hope, we're called to live with this hope that God is already working on our behalf. Let me, let me show this diagram, all right, to kind of explain it to you. Wishing looks like this, all right? Here is me in the present, and I, I want all of my dreams and desires and wishes to be transported to the future. And so I spend my time, my energy fantasizing about how I can get all of those things that I want to happen in my future. You see how this is so self-centered? 
that in our present, our dreams and our desires are at the center, and in our future, our dreams and our desires are at the center. It's so self-centered. Hoping is the exact opposite. It says, here I am, me in the present. And I just acknowledge the existence of a God who exists outside of time, who, who is already working on my behalf in the future. He's an active God already working for me. And all I, all I really want here in the present is for God to give me the hope that only he can provide. And so I can kind of let my wishes go by the wayside and realize that only God's hope sustains me. That's the difference. And I think it's crucial to us understanding what, we, what it means to pray big because praying big is not about wishing for big things. Praying big, it's not about going to God and saying, God, I wish you would heal this disease or sickness that I can't seem to overcome. It's not about going to God and saying, God, I wish that you would grant me that promotion that I've worked so hard for that just seems to keep eluding me. It's not about, God, I wish that you would bless my family. And don't hear me wrong. Listen, I believe we serve a God who is a provider, a healer, and a God who blesses. In fact, I think he's the only one capable of doing any of those things. And I think he's a God who desires to, who delights in, and who takes joy in giving us those good gifts. But listen, praying is about more than just wishing for big things. Because if, if, if prayer is about just wishing for big things, then ultimately my prayer depends on my requests being fulfilled. And this is crucial. The function of prayer is not the fulfillment of our requests. The function of prayer is not the fulfillment of our requests. It's not the purpose of your prayer that you would get what you want. The function of prayer is to focus us on our need for God. It's not the fulfillment of our requests. It's to focus us on our need for God. And listen, I think this is really good news because I think it frees us. It really frees us to understand about what is effective prayer. Right, because if the function of our prayer is not the fulfillment of our request, if it's actually to focus us on our need for God, then the success of our prayers has nothing to do with the results of our prayers. The success of our prayers has nothing to do with the results of our prayers. It has everything to do with how they reveal our need for God. The success of our prayers has everything to do with how they reveal our need for God. And I really think that if we can begin to shift our minds from the things that we wish for, the requests that we wish for, to exchanging those for the hope of God, I think it can radically change the way that we pray big. Because listen, God is not a genie. He's not just some fulfiller of requests. God is a bringer of hope. And that's a much more weighty thing than just fulfilling our requests. Listen, our God is willing to fulfill our requests. He cares enough, right? He tells us time and time and time again to, to cast our cares on him. Our God is capable of fulfilling our requests. He's powerful enough but we also have to trust that our God is good, that he is good enough. 
and wise, that he is wise enough. And he knows us well enough to know that what we want is not always what we need. And sometimes the things that we need are not the things that we actually want. So I have a daughter. She's uh, a little bit over 18 months now. And, uh, you know, they talk about this thing, uh, the terrible twos. And I think for some children, it's an early onset kind of thing. Um, and so, I mean, she's wild. She's a great kid, but she is wild. She's all over the place. And one of the things she loves is light. She's really attracted to light. And so when she was, when she was a little bit younger, she had just started to become mobile. She was really attracted to lamps because uh, she liked the ball ball in the middle that was a light bulb. And so she would always try to crawl over to the lamp or move over to the lamp and grab it. And so we had this lamp sitting on our record player at home. And she crawled over to it, and she reached up for it, and she grabbed the cord and pulled it down on her. And, and this lamp was made of glass, and the glass shattered on her head and, and cut her head. And I was like, man, I'm a terrible parent. And she was bleeding, and I was like, I thought we were going to have to go to the hospital, but, but everything was fine. But listen, I'm a good dad, right? I like to think that I'm a pretty good dad. And I'm, I'm willing to, to do anything that Ayla wants me to do. I'm, I'm capable of giving Ayla everything that she wants. But I'm also good. And I'm a little bit more wise than her. And so you know what we did? We moved her lamps. Because even though Ayla wants the little ball ball in the middle of the lamp, I as a dad know that's not a good idea. I've seen it happen before. Because I know that what she needs might not be what she wants. Same is true with our relationship with God. We have to trust that he's good enough, that he's wise enough. Listen, we serve a God who is small enough to hear our requests, big enough to do something about them, but good enough to give us what we need. That truth will revolutionize the way you pray. So praying big is not about the size of our requests. Praying big is about the amount of hope that our requests require us to place in God. So it's not about how big your request is. It's about how big your hope is. You realize that you're hopeless without God. And so like I said, praying big is not about wishing for big things. Praying big means placing all of our hope in a big God. The story we're going to be in this morning is found in 1 Samuel, and we're going to hear of the story of a woman named Hannah, this little insignificant character, a woman named Hannah. So you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel this morning. We're going to learn from her what it means to pray big. If you don't have a Bible, there's um, some at the door when you leave. We'd love for you to take that as our gift to you. We're going to jump into 1 Samuel chapter 1. Let me give you a little context here for what's going on behind the scenes. There's a transition happening in the nation of Israel. Uh, this story happens in the Old Testament, which is a story about Israel and their relationship with, with our God. And um, there's a transition happening. They're moving from a tribal nation to a more established nation. And uh, this is a pretty crucial time in the story of Israel. And so it's really interesting that the writer of Samuel, perhaps Samuel himself, decides to introduce this character, Hannah. Hannah is the wife of a man named Elkanah, and she is barren. She can't have children. And that's important. You need to know that because children in this society were a sign of health and wealth. Like if you couldn't have children, people thought something was wrong with you. Maybe you had, you had done something wrong and God had cursed you. It was tied to your wealth as well, right? Your prosperity, because children meant protection. 
They meant longevity. They meant the extension of your family legacy. And so for Hannah, this means that she finds herself at the bottom of the barrel. She has none of that. And so in order to deal with that, Elkanah does something that I don't suggest, don't recommend. He marries another woman. Don't condone it. Her name is Peninnah. And Peninnah is able to give Elkanah the only thing that Hannah ever desired to give him. And she has his child and extends his legacy. So here's little old Hannah, no children. And on top of all of that, she now has this other wife to compete with who can do the one thing she can't. And to top it all off, Peninnah takes advantage of the situation and she begins to ridicule Hannah. So what does Elkanah do? Well, I think what any good man would do, he packs up his two wives who hate each other and they go on a road trip every year. <laughs> right? Sounds like a terrible idea, right? But that's what the scriptures tell us they do. They take a trip from their city to go to the temple of God uh, at least once a year around the festivals of the time. And they, they get there to the temple. And I can just imagine that road trip, right? Like Hannah's in the back, like kind of hanging back, like under her breath, like, God, I can't believe I'm going on this stupid road trip again. And there's Penna, there she is. And I don't know why, she's so mean to me. Why would you give her a child and not give me a child? I think I've, I've been a better person than she has. Why can't you understand, right? And so like under her breath, she's already grumbling. Let's just imagine the distress and the anguish that, Hannah feels. So we turn to the text in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 7. It says, So it went on like this year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she, being Peninnah, used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. So every year, they go to the temple of God, and every year, the cycle repeats itself. Peninnah ridicules, Hannah prays, Hannah weeps and, and does not eat. She fasts and she doesn't eat. Instead, she goes and she prays. Listen, big prayers take big commitment. Year after year, in the face of ridicule, Hannah continued to pray her big prayers. And so, for you this morning, I don't, I don't know if you have any big prayers that you're praying, if you've been praying for them for years. If you haven't, maybe, maybe that means that you need to open yourself up to the idea of a prayer that actually takes that kind of hope to pray. Year after year in, in anguish, praying for God to do something. Big prayers take big commitment. Elkanah would come, Elkanah came to her, and husbands, before I start, all right, we just, we just came out of a marriage series, all right? I got some free marriage advice for you that's not a part of that series right here. Ready? Elkanah comes to her and says, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Oof. Probably shouldn't have said that, bud. All right, so husbands, don't be dumb. Don't say that. Don't say stuff like this. Don't ask your wife why she's crying. And, and for heaven's sake, do not suggest to her that you are enough to satisfy all of her needs. All right? This is not good. That's my marriage advice for the day. Listen, here's the point, though. 
Hannah comes distressed, and Peninnah shows contempt. Hannah comes distressed, and Elkanah shows callousness. And so Hannah, with nowhere else to turn, she takes her distress to God, and God shows care and compassion. In our search for comfort, some may shroud us with the darkness of their spirit. And others might make light of our situation, but we will always find the comfort we're looking for from a God who cares for us. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose, and Eli, the priest, was there at the temple. And it says, he was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord, kind of keeping watch, and Hannah goes into the temple. And it says, she was deeply distressed, and she prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Again, we see kind of her emotion continuing to progress, right? She's weeping and not eating, and now she's weeping bitterly. And, she's, and she does this. She, she makes this vow. She says, and I want you to notice here. Notice how Hannah refers to herself. I have it highlighted for you, so it's kind of easy. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. She calls herself a servant because Hannah acknowledges that she is not the master in this situation, and God is not her magic genie. And so Hannah has moved from give me to use me. In my life, um, my wife and I, our daughter is 18 months, we actually adopted her, and we, we actually had our own struggles with infertility in our story. And uh, so at that point in our lives, we started to pray about like, what does that mean for us? And both Haley and I had felt a call uh, to, to adopt at some point in our life. And so we're like, well, maybe that means that we're supposed to adopt now. And so we started the process to adopt our daughter, Ayla. But in that process, um, those of you that know our story will, will know this about us. We um, got matched with a child. We were there for that child's birth and um, took care of the baby all weekend. And then the mom decided to keep the baby. And at that point, in my life, it was like Haley and I were praying, like, God, why would you? We felt like we held, heard you pretty clearly, like, go and take this step, and I'll answer your prayer, you'll get your kid. And I mean, that was a really dark time in my life because I was starting to question almost everything. But ultimately, my, my prayers just kind of shifted in that situation. Going through that pain taught me to stop praying, give me. I just like, Use me. I just want to be a part of whatever story you're writing, God. Just use me. And here's the deal. People would come to us and they'd be like, I don't understand. Because we went through another failed adoption before we finally got to Aileen. People would come to us and it's like, I don't understand why you continue to put yourself through this pain. Like, why are you continuing to pray this? Maybe like Peninnah, they'd come up to us and they'd ridicule us. Or like Elkanah, they just wouldn't really understand what we're going through. They'd be callous. And I would just look at them and I'd say, listen, I'm not out to get God to give me anything. I've just kind of surrendered, and I want him to, to use me. And what Hannah understood is that big prayer takes big humility. 
And so she referred to herself as a servant. And, and you might be here today and you're like, listen, who am I to take these big requests to the God of the universe? The world, your circumstances, those around you have started to kind of push you down and you're like, who am I? And you're asking yourself, why would anybody care about little old me? I'm a no one. I'm a nobody. But listen, I don't think that's true. I don't think you're a nobody. I think you're somebody that God really loves. And I think you'll discover, if you just start praying these big prayers, what Hannah discovered. is that big prayers oftentimes come from little people. Big prayers come from people who think very little of themselves, who have the humility to say, this is my request, God, but actually, would you just use me however you want to use me? Listen to her request once again. Uh, she said, if you'll give a servant to me, I'll give him back to the Lord all the days of his life. So in her humility, Hannah just kind of surrenders, right? Because her prayer is for a son, and she's willing in order to get it to sacrifice it. Because she realizes that big prayers take big sacrifice. So the question is, are you willing to commit yourself? Are you willing to have the humility that it takes to hold your requests loosely? Are you, willing, are you willing to sacrifice? It says, as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. And so Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, like he doesn't even ask, he just assumes, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. Right? Listen, when you start praying big, you might make people around you uncomfortable. They might not understand what you're doing because they might, they might see your boldness in the midst of your pain and they might actually misinterpret it as arrogance. They can see the size of your request, but they can't see the amount of hope that you have in your God. And so they might judge you. Even good God-fearing people like Eli might judge you. And then some of them, they might see your broken and contrite spirit and say, why aren't you just joyful? Joyful. Look at all the good things that God has given to you. Why are you so broken over this one thing that he won't? And they'll look at your commitment to this big prayer as selfishness, not sacrifice. And it's because they can only see your physical countenance. They cannot see the hope that is inside of you, causing you to maintain the belief against all odds. But I promise you this, God doesn't look at your outward appearance. He's not concerned about your posture, the way you carry yourself. He looks at your heart. And though your pain might make other people uncomfortable, it doesn't intimidate God. Be honest with him. He wants you to be honest with him. He can handle it. He's the God of the universe. He'll never scare him away. 
So Hannah answers Eli. She says, No, my Lord, I'm a woman troubled in spirit, and I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. She's like, listen, Eli, you're mistaken, right? You think I'm full of wine, but actually I'm completely empty because I've been pouring out myself before God. She knows that prayer, big prayers, come from empty hands, hands that don't hold too tightly to their requests, but realize that the, the only hands big enough to, to carry those requests are actually the hands of God. And so they empty themselves, they pour it out before God, and they ask for him to provide the hope that only he can provide. Eli answers her after this encounter and says, go in peace, and the God of Israel, may he grant your petition that you have made to him. I love, I love this because uh, Eli can't give her peace. And Eli, he even says himself that he can't grant the petition that she's been asking her. And so I love Hannah's response. She says, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Again, that humble servant word, right? But she's not talking to God here. She's talking to Eli because she realizes Eli's favor doesn't really matter. (laughs) I already have the favor of the one who matters. And then she went on her way and ate. And check this out. Her face was no longer sad. God hasn't answered her prayer. She doesn't have a son. But her face is no longer sad. Maybe it's because she's realized that her happiness is not tied up in the results of her prayers. That it's not about that. That actually what she was going there to seek was the comfort that she found in the presence of the God of the universe. Listen again to Hannah's request. O Lord of hosts, if you look, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant. She just wants God to look at her. Look at God's response. So they rose early in the morning, Hannah and Elkanah, and they worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah and his wife, and the Lord remembered Listen, I don't know what you're praying for. I don't know what you're going through. I do know, though, that our God is a God who remembers. That he looks, that he he listens, that he hears your big prayers. And listen, Hannah, in due time, conceived and bore a son. She called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. In due time, it doesn't tell us how long it took. I mean, who knows how many more times she returned to that same temple to pray that same prayer because she was feeling sad again and she needed just another taste of the presence of God. But in due time, God answered her prayer. And listen, let me just say something. Some of you have been praying big prayers. And maybe that's why you're here today because you heard about this series and you're like, I want to come and I want to hear about what it means to pray big. Perhaps someone, you or someone in your family has cancer and your big prayer is that God would heal that. Maybe you're like in a financial situation, you have this burden, this financial burden on you and you're like, God, I don't know how, but I need you to provide. Maybe your big prayer is like you have this relationship that is broken and you just want reconciliation, you've been praying about it for years and it just doesn't seem to be happening. 
Maybe you came to the Marriage You Want series and all it did was remind you the fact that you haven't found the marriage that you want yet. And so you're praying to God for a spouse. You've been praying for years and it's not happening. Or maybe, maybe your prayer is the same prayer that Hannah's been praying. It's not happening. And every Instagram post, birth announcement feels like the stinging ridicule of Penina. And every well-meaning comment like, you guys are a cute couple, why don't you have kids? Feels like the indifference of Elkanah. And you're terrified that good, God-fearing people just like Eli will see your broken spirit and they'll judge you and so you put on a smile. And you wear this tough exterior. And actually, Hannah's story is not really encouraging you you this morning at all because her results fly in the face of your experience. And you're like, is God really listening to me? Listen, Hannah gets a son. But I believe that the gift that Hannah receives is not just conception. The true gift that Hannah receives is reception. She's received by the God of the universe. And she even acknowledges this and how she names her son, Samuel. Samuel is Hebrew for two words, Shema and El, that mean here, God. Because when she looks at the gift of her son, the very real gift of her son, she wants to be reminded of the true gift. I was heard by God. God hears our prayers. And so praying big means finding your peace and your purpose in the presence of God and allowing the bigness of his presence to fill in the gap between your petitions and his plan. Because here's the reality. There's going to be times in your life when you ask for something and the plan of God is to not give it to you. And so in those moments, you have to trust that his presence is big enough to fill that gap. And you'll say, you know, it's enough. It's enough that the God of the universe hears me and wants to hear my prayers. And so the question we have to ask ourselves this morning is, do you trust God enough that you are willing to believe that his plan for your life is better than the wishes you have for your own life? Do you trust? Hannah returns back to the temple and she says to Eli, you know, I'm the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. You might have forgotten, Eli. My, my Lord remembered. You might have forgotten, but it was me. And I, try, I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he has lent to the Lord. She makes good on her sacrifice. Right? And this is important because there's a bigger story happening here. Right? Hannah's just not some insignificant char- character in a small story. Hannah is a, plays a big role in a big story. Told you earlier, the nation of Israel is in this moment of transition. The son she gives birth to, Samuel, goes on to be the, the prophet that God blesses to anoint the kings of Israel. And he's going to usher in the most successful time in Israel's history. You see, Hannah wanted to have a son. God wanted Hannah to have Samuel. Listen, I don't know how the miracle of life happens. But if Hannah has Samuel, has a baby at any other time, maybe it's not Samuel. And if Hannah doesn't have to go through the commitment and the humility and the sacrifice that she has to go through to get Samuel, then maybe Samuel doesn't end up living in the temple all of his life and, and having the effect on Israel that he has. 
What we have to begin to realize is that praying big is about exchanging our wishes for the hope of God, to realize that God is active, that he is doing something. He's already working ahead of us. And, and that praying big is actually about realizing that this story is bigger than us. That perhaps God might just want to use us in a very big way if we just surrender to him. And Hannah knows this. That's why in her thanks, prayer of thanksgiving, in chapter 2, she says this. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. The name of God is mentioned 32 times in this little story of Hannah. And so, yes, it's a story about Hannah and her son Samuel, but make no mistake, this is a story about God. And he is the active agent moving this story forward. Samuel does not come to be because of the effectiveness of Hannah's prayers. Not because she did the right thing, she prayed the right way, she committed, she sacrificed, none of that. Samuel comes to be because God willed it to be so. Because he's the only one who can bring life from barrenness. And listen, don't get me wrong. Big prayers often require us to do something. If not, I wouldn't be preaching this sermon. <laughs> Hannah wanted a child, so she did something about it. She prayed. But the point is, Samuel was a gift from God. And this is not a story about the effectiveness of Hannah's prayer. This is a story about the effectiveness of our God. Hannah did not coerce God into her plan. God used her in his. She didn't make some deal that God just couldn't refuse. No, God said, I have a plan, and I want you to be a part of it. And so this is actually a story about God's effectiveness, and by extension, the effectiveness of Hannah as God's servant, because he's writing the story. Because praying is bigger than us, it's bigger than our dreams, it's bigger than our wishes, it's bigger than our desires. Big prayer is about placing all of our hope in a big God who wants us to be a part of the big story that he is telling. So will you do that? Will you be willing to just surrender your life to this big story that he's telling. Because praying big means placing all of our hope in a big God. Later in the story of Samuel, like I said, he goes on to anoint kings. He anoints King David, who starts the Davidic line, which is really important in the history of Israel. And Samuel says this in chapter 16, verse seven, as he's anointing David. He says to David's father, Jesse, as he passes over all of the sons of Jesse to get to David, and he said, um, the Lord says to Samuel, don't look at the outward appearance of these men or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And I like to imagine this as a quote from Samuel's mother, Samuel who every time she went to visit him at the temple in Shiloh, hey Samuel, let me tell you the story about how you came to be. I was praying, and I was like really torn up about it. And Eli, this goofy man, he came into the temple, and he thought I was drunk, but actually I was just pouring my soul out to the Lord. And, and don't you ever forget, Samuel, the Lord doesn't see as the man sees. The Lord looks at the heart. And so Samuel, because of the legacy passed on to him from his mom, anoints David as he's called to do, and he changes the world. Big prayers 
can change the world. They changed our world. Because there's another character in this story who is willing to sacrifice their son. Hannah's prayer continues in verse 8 of chapter 2. And she speaks of our God this way. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. And this is, isn't this what God did for us? He sacrificed his son that we might be princes and princesses and inherit a seat of honor. He receives us into the family. And shouldn't that be enough? And so this morning... Maybe you're like, Jake, I, I would love to pray big prayers. I don't really know how to. Well, we would love to have you join us for Wednesdays throughout March. Starting March 4th, Wednesday to March 4th, we're going to have a Bible study for life, and it's going to be focused on the prayers of Jesus, and we're going to learn from the prayers of Jesus and what they can teach us about how to pray boldly in our lives. If that's interesting to you, come and join us as we learn to pray boldly together. Or maybe for you this morning, you're like, this is the first time I'm hearing about this God who sees me and hears me and loves me. And the baptisms this morning, maybe they moved you and you're like, I think the Spirit of God's doing something in my life and I'm ready to start taking this journey with this big God. Well, we'd love for you to come and to take the step of baptism. The, the water's open. We'll have people down here ready to receive you. So during this next song, would you respond in whatever way? Remember, your posture doesn't matter. God looks at your heart. And so, as we sing this morning, I invite you to pray big to a God who's big enough to do something about it and who cares enough to give you what you need.